This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. There's a reason more pros choose redneck blinds over any other blind on the market. Combining amazing quietness, scent control, and usability features, you have the ultimate hunting blind. Give them a call or check them out online at redneckblinds.com. Dakota Silence, we're embracing better. Our focuses, revolutionary concealment, extreme silence, enhanced thermal efficiency, purpose-driven functionality. Unheard, unnoticed, uncompromised. You're listening to the Outdoor Podcast, proudly presented by Six Hour and created by Bowhunter Planet. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Outdoor Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Tim Mazzarana along with Dave Thomas. And tonight we're joined by by Dan Forrester, who's part of the Archery Trade Association, an organization that we hear a lot of a lot about in January. But believe it or not, they exist all year round, right? And there's Absolutely. a lot happening over at the ATA. So Dan, thanks for joining us tonight. We appreciate you uh, carving some time out of your busy schedule to to have a quick chat with us. Oh, I'm happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to kind of talk about some of the things going on. And you're right, ATA. Uh, has a lot of things going on all the time. And you're right, people know us by the trade show, but the reality is the trade show is one of the mechanisms that provides sources of revenue for ATA to benefit members and the archery industry. And under my portfolio, I mainly deal with policy issues at the federal and state level. And so uh, from time to time, there's some really big issues out there that our industry is faced with. And the time for one of them is is right on our doorsteps now. And so that's kind of what I wanted to bring to you today because there's probably a play there for folks that are interested in, in protecting uh, what we do. That's awesome. And we love, we, we love to use this type of forum to get messages out to our community. So we appreciate that um, for sure. So let's get into that in just a second. Dan, can you give us a little bit about your brat background? Because I know you have... You're going to talk about some things going on in the industry and in conservation that are going on, but you have an extensive background, right, in conservation. Can you just give us a walkthrough as to what you've done in your past careers? Absolutely. So I've been I've been blessed to be able to meld my passion for deer hunting and for hunting generally with my profession. Uh, I had a chance to uh, go to the uh, two-time national champion, University of Georgia Bulldogs uh, school. There you and, go. Uh, I love get, it. Get uh, kind of my undergraduate and graduate degrees in wildlife biology. I had a chance to study uh, under some wonderful, well re- world-renowned, actually, deer biologists. And then I went to work for the Georgia Department of Natural Resources, and I spent all my time there uh, for about 30 years. I and, uh, you know, worked as a biologist and uh, as a supervisor for game programs. And there again, focused a lot of time on deer. And then I 
I uh, ended up becoming the director in about 2004, and I served as a director of the Fish and Wildlife uh, Division in Georgia until I retired a couple years ago. So uh, in that role, I, I actually got uh, got very interested and involved in policy. Obviously, at the state level, I dealt a lot with that, but it also gave me a chance to look around and work with colleagues from across the country. Uh, we all share the same plot souls, have the same challenges, be it deer management, urban deer management, CWD, uh, hunting participation, the whole nine yards. And and uh, through that, I met some great folks, got uh, uh, introduced to the Archery Trade Association where they helped me out a lot back home with some issues. And uh, so when it came time uh, to retire, uh, we talked and, and, and decided there would be a place there for me. So I now have the privilege of kind of ad advocating for archery in a lot of the same forums and with a lot of the same colleagues I worked with before. So uh, it continues that passion. Uh, you know, I used to say it's great to be able to scratch the ground on an acre or two and make a difference. But when you deal with policy with a stroke of a pen or a simple vote, you can impact large landscapes and lots of hunters and and that's what I like doing. The victories are few and far between. I would say in policy, uh, the highs are higher, but the lows can be lower. And uh, so that's my background and I enjoy what I do. And ultimately what the industry wants me to do is, is help to grow and protect the sport of archery. And so that's what awesome. I do on a daily basis. Awesome. Yeah. I was going to say, I think your background, it reminds me not of our background, but kind of like the industry of like social media and that kind of thing. When, when you're in that type of public office, you're going to get both the good and the bad comments all the time. Right. <laughs> so managing through that, you got to have a little bit of a tough skin, but yeah, you, you, it also, I think it helps you build your, your compass, if you will, too, right. Where, you know, you have a direction that, that you want to take things or a direction or an idea and getting that to fruition is not easy when there's a lot of opposition sometimes, right? No, you're, I mean, you're right. And, and I, you know, I know that the passion for that hunters have and deer hunters in particular with that comes a lot of opinions. And, uh, and so absolutely you hear a lot of different opinions and, you know, if they're factually wrong, you can deal with those. But a lot of times, you know, the the uh, the management of deer is actually an art and a science. You know, not everything is always black and white. And I think the most important science we deal with for managing deer is the social science. We have to manage seasons and populations to meet the needs of our constituents. And uh, you're not always going to make everybody happy, but you can, uh, you know, you can do the right thing for the right reasons, which uh, I've always tried to do. And you generally end up in a good spot. Awesome, man. Yeah, well, we did want to give you the floor for a couple minutes here um, because you have a very important topic to bring to everybody's attention, right? So yeah. I, I don't want to confuse the message or what's going on with it. So I was going to just turn it over to you um, so that you can really lay it out as to what's going on. That sounds great. And uh, it's it's pretty complicated, but I'm going to try and spell it out in, in a way that makes a lot of sense. But if you go back to last year, uh, Congress passed a piece of legislation called the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Now, this was on the heels of uh, some very difficult situations in Uvalde, Texas. 
uh, and in Buffalo, New York. And as Congress does, they wanted to do something with respect to education to make our schools safer. So they introduced this piece of legislation, which really dealt with hardening of schools and training of officers and providing funding where school systems needed it to secure uh, and make their school systems safer. Well, in the development of that legislation, there was some wording added that uh, prohibited the use of federal education funds for uh, programs that utilized or involved weapons. Well, fast forward to November of last year, and the Department of Education uh, issued some guidance across the country to state departments of education and said, hey, if you are using any federal funds to support archery programs or hunter education programs, programs that utilize weapons, which include archery equipment, then you are subject to losing all of your federal education funds. Well, folks in Alaska, actually a hunter education instructor brought that to our attention uh, earlier this year and the attention of the community. So about May is when really this issue bubbled up and we immediately kind of circled the wagons as a community and talked to some of the uh, senators that were involved in that actual negotiations. And they said, wait a minute, time out. This is in no way, shape or form what we talked about. Okay, this is in fact the opposite of what we wanted to do. We were trying to shore up that these federal funds could be used for enrichment programs. That's programs that benefit students in a multitude of ways. Archery programs like National Archery in the School Program, Archers USA. Some schools offer hunter education programs in their schools. Well, if you did that, then you put at risk your entire state's federal funding. And so Senator Cornyn was one of those that said, no, no, this is not right. So, so we generated a, a letter from those negotiators on that bill that went to Secretary of Education uh, Cardona and basically said, hey, here was the intent of our legislation. We think this is an overreach, a misinterpretation of what we were trying to do. We wish you'd reconsider. Well, that ticked on for a little bit without a response. And then in uh, the end of July, uh, it really hit the fan because Fox News aired a piece where Safari Club International government relations guy, Ben Cassidy, friend of mine, got on there and, and basically blasted the administration for withholding federal funds for archery programs and hunter education. And when Fox News picks that up, it 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 went viral, so to speak. And so a lot of stuff was generated. Uh, the Archery Trade Association, we'd, we'd been kind of playing like the rest of our community, uh, you know, in, in good faith that this wasn't an oversight, that education was going to come back, uh, but they didn't. And now that it became viral, then everybody got a lot more active. Uh, we issued an action alert to our members. It too got a lot of generation, started doing a couple of podcasts with, with other folks. And, and what we ended up getting was, you know, this letter from, from uh, the, the negotiators 
never do you get a response. But in this fury, the uh, Department of Education came to Fox News and said, look, we, we understand there's a problem here, but the way we read the, the legislation, intent or not, we're, we're stuck on our policy. We're willing to work with you guys to get it fixed in legislation, but that's what it's going to take to fix the issue. We can't just, with a stroke of a pen, change our position because we think it's the right one. So that that put us in a in a in a new new position altogether. So since that time, there has been some legislation that's active. Uh, Congressman Green uh, uh, introduced back, I think, on August first, uh, House Resolution fifty one one zero. He's a Republican from Tennessee, but there's sixty co-sponsors on this bill that would change the language back to what it was, so that schools across this country could use those federal funds to teach archery in the schools and hunter education programs and the like. We think that bill has a lot of traction. There's also another bill that's been introduced in the Senate, a companion bill, if you will. Probably another piece of legislation will be introduced very soon. And uh, uh, tomorrow in the Education Committee, they're actually going to hear Congressman Green's bill, and we expect that it's going to pass out of committee uh, and then be eligible for the floor. So uh, everybody's saying the right things. We've got lots of bipartisan support. We're going to get this thing fixed. The problem is legislation is never easy to get done. There's lots of hurdles in the way. And so you know, we don't know ultimately what's what's going to happen in the next 30 days, but I will be shocked if we don't get this thing fixed and it's business as usual. It's just unfortunate we've had to go through all this. So crazy. Thank you, because it's a very important topic. I think this actually came up on a podcast that we were recording a couple of weeks ago, um, and it was off that Fox News article. Um, that came out of the Fox News coverage that came out when we first found out about it all. Um, and, and, and to have you explain it, it makes more sense how it happened, but the fix seems too easy, right? Like you have you have the Community Safety Act that came out. Okay, we got it. It's got that language in there. But right. then it's the Department of Education guidance that didn't even write the bill. They just interpreted it a certain way, right? They came out with that guidance that now everybody's following, right? So to me, and I'm a, I'm a lame person here, I get a bill would fix it so the Department of Education can't go back and have different, you know, can, can change their guidance based on language. But is it really at the end of the day, the lawyers at the Department of Education just digging their heels in and not wanting to change their mind on the guidance? So that's, that's a great question. And, you know, I, I can't speak to the intent, right? I mean, I... I would have hoped that that it would not have been a heavy lift to change their interpretation. Now, as a community, as soon as this interpretation came out, we all knew we were going to have to get legislation passed regardless, right? Because we we last thing we want is to fix it with a new interpretation, right. only to have another administration, you know, one or two administrations down the road come back and say the same thing. So the, the problem is there's a lack of clarity and 
And depending on how you read it, attorneys can interpret it differently. Right. And and that's that's where we are. So I, you know, I think there are a lot of people that uh you know are are motivated more politically and, and would read into this that there is in fact a political positioning, a political posturing that's anti-archery that is making this interpretation. And you know, I, I don't know. Again, I can't speak to the intent. What I can tell you is that even though they they aren't willing to change the interpretation, they have they have uh, reached out and said, let us help you fix the language so that we don't get stuck with this again. And so I think they're at least on the team. And if nothing else, they've heard loud and clear from the archery community and the hunting community, what a travesty this is. I have seen very few things uh, in the conservation arena that have generated as much angst on this and has generated as much bipartisan support. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that's going to stand up and say, by golly, I'm against archery in the schools program and we're not going to fund this. You know, if there is somebody out there, they're going to say that quietly. But by and large, it's been bipartisan and very supportive. So at the end of the day, uh, what we've really lost is a couple of months of uncertainty in the school systems. And there's probably been some ultra conservative pulling back. But but there's also a lot of places that really have kept on keeping on. And uh, and it really hasn't impacted them. So the sooner we can get this done, the better. And then we won't have to worry about it. Now, my fingers are crossed in that as you all know, the federal budget expires at the end of this month. We do not have a budget going forward. What typically happens is Congress passes a continuing resolution. We're, we're optimistic that we might be able to get a fix on the continuing resolution at the end of this month, because it is a budget issue. Just depends, depends the will of leadership, how clean they want to keep the, the CR. Sometimes they want it super clean, no matter what the issue is. Other times they'll accept other things. So we could, by the end of the month, have a fix on this thing. If not, and we need a standalone bill, it's going to take a little bit longer. So the sense of urgency is is pretty high, you would say. Right? I would say relatively high, correct. We will All likely, right. as an organization, do an action alert uh, sometime next week. Uh, the, the first time we kind of tickled our members and our partners on this, we said, contact your congressman, tell them to contact the secretary, uh, Cardona, and tell him reverse his decision. The message this time will be pass a legislative fix in the House, and we'll be looking at uh, Congressman Green's bill as a vehicle there. On the Senate side, we're going to wait a little bit more because the Senate version of the right vehicle hasn't really emerged yet probably will the next week or two and then we can we can get on board with that as well because usually what happens is you get a a, a a good house bill and a good senate bill uh they're they're close enough together they can pass those uh, this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On the CR, and then we're good to go. So what can we do as a community to help in this effort? So it's it's a little bit out of our comfort zone, but but the one thing, the one thing that's going to fix this is legislation. And the way to get that done is to engage in the process. And it's okay if you've never done that before. It's very easy to find a phone number and the email address for your elected officials. You can go to the ATA's website and look at our action alert and fill one of those out. When we do it next week, it will make it available to anybody that wants to use that because what we do with our alerts is make it easy for you just to put your name and your uh, address in there and hit send and it'll send a tailor-made message to your congressman but awesome. you don't have to wait you can look it up online very simple call them or send an email and just say i wish you would restore funding for archery programs in the school and and if you do that they're familiar with the issue they're going to put it in a stack with the rest of them but but what I know from dealing a lot with politics is many issues they never hear from a constituent. And and it, it doesn't take a thousand constituents in your district to turn them, particularly if you know them. If you know them and you send a note, bingo, they got it. And so that's what you can do. You can simply send a note that restore funding for archery programs in our school system. And I love that- it. Yeah, and we all need to get better at, at those types of issues for sure because our voices do matter. I mean, and I think that's part of it too, right, is that everybody thinks, you know, I'm just a little guy. I'm going to send it. It's going to go ignored. But but sometimes that's not the point. Your your little voice added with all the other little voices become one gigantic voice, right? And Absolutely. It's, it's everybody and- in the community coming around an issue and having the same idea to really sometimes bring it to life. And the worst case scenario is them not hearing from anybody. And then they get to make a decision in a vacuum. Yeah. And and you, you don't want that. And keep in mind, these folks do work for us. I mean, that's their job. They're there to represent us. And and it's it's maybe a little bit uncomfortable, maybe a little bit scary, but I promise you they're not going to bite back. You're probably going to end up speaking with uh, a legislative director or a staff person that'll say, thank you very much for this. I'm going to make sure the congressman knows. And and it's okay if you don't speak to the man or the lady. It's okay. It's just just that they have an account of that, and that'll go a long ways. Well, that's great. And I, I love, love that you guys are getting behind this and trying to fix a real-world issue because, you know, one thing that just kind of boggles my mind about the whole scenario is that, We're a country that touts education. Today's episode is brought to you by Sig Sauer, keeping you safe in and out of the field, but also keeping you in the field longer with Sig's lineup of cross rifles, optics, ammo, and more. Learn all about it at SigSauer.com. Also brought to you by Tinks, Dead Downwind, Burris, Vapor Trail, Stokerized, Arizona Archery Enterprises, Apex Rewards, and Easton. 
Last year, Reveal by Tacticam quickly became the most sought-after scouting camera in America, making cellular scouting available to any hunter. We ask our users how we can make this outstanding camera even better, and this is our answer. Introducing the all-new Reveal X. Even easier setup, better battery life, faster trigger speed, on-demand HD photos, extended detection range. This season, find out what all the buzz is about. Get a new Reveal X by Tacticam. Right. If you're educated, you'll do better. If you, you know, education is the key to our entire society. Yet you're taking away education for hunter safety, which is also gun safety and other things. And I equated a lot to driving, right? Like when, when I first drove, I was scared, right? I didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't sure. And I wasn't a safe driver by any means the first time I did it. But that education, right, that hunter's education, just like I go through driver's education, helps me to be more comfortable with it, helps me to be um, safer with it and not understand it better, right? And so it just boggles my mind that we would get rid of the education piece when our whole society is built around education. Oh, you're exactly right. And I and I would I would add to that, you know, with with just just the NASP program, which is one program of many that are taught. There were 1.3 million students that went through that program last year in 49 states. And an wow. example, when, when I was a director in Georgia, we had a middle school from a rural part of our state, uh, excuse me, an elementary school from a rural part of our state where there were 60% free and reduced lunches that won the national NASP tournament and uh, uh, won the state tournament, competed nationally, ultimately won the world tournament down in Disney. And it was a group of third graders uh, that boys, girls, small, big, all sizes, all shapes, not the typical athlete and the self-esteem that was generated from that program. You know, you get better attendance, better participation, better, great. You, the, the enrichment piece of this is incredibly valuable. And it's what this whole funding is supposed to support. And so to restore that and the types of benefits that archery programs and these other enrichment programs, you know, give to, to the students is, is certainly worth uh, fixing this problem. It's uh, kind of, um, it's kind of comical to me to the thought that somebody like twisted it on purpose to like take archery. I just think it's, 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 it's not funny, but I think it is comical in the sense that archery is an Olympic sport. Like it's not like a, we're not talking about like just some random thing. We're talking about historical in your blood, like your, their family, whoever, whoever did this to, to twist this up like this, their family hunted. That's just like, it's a natural thing. And I'm, I'm just saying hunting, like, right. Forget that. It's just archery as a, as a whole, and the other thing, like Tim said, like education is is key to a lot of things, including safety. If a kid doesn't go and take these courses and understand the safety behind archery, they'll never understand the safety at all. If they're around somebody who has a bow that maybe they don't understand, they just walk down the lane when you're not supposed to. And I say the same for gun safety. Like, I think kids should be learning gun safety so they don't just walk into a house <laughs> and like, oh, there's a gun. Hoo -hoo, you know, like someone's got to help these kids. It's not all the parents are getting this done. And, and my whole point is like, why would they ever even consider 
something like this. It's not even, and that's why it just makes me mad because it's like it's so like subjective. Like someone subjectively that doesn't like archery said, "Oh, put archery in there too." You know, it's ridiculous. It's it's so, just it's not right. It's it's not right, and and you know I think it's more unintended consequences. I mean the the certainly yeah. the uh, the negotiators didn't want to see this, but the, what 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 ultimately happened is they wanted to take the monies that were used for training officers, you know, school resource officers, and put it in a separate part of the bill. And so they added into this bill, you can't use this money to train, you know, in the use of deadly weapons. Well, that verbiage is what tripped this up because yeah. there is there is some definition of what that is. It includes archery. And so, you know, education said, look, you said we cannot use this money for weapons. And no one saw that coming because it was never the intent. It was never discussed. And, you know, unfortunately, we live in a world of unintended consequences, and this one bit us in a really big way. But I do think the silver lining is it has been very reassuring to see how uh, members, how the constituencies, and how our elected officials have come together on this thing in a pretty big way, in a pretty fast way, uh, which is why I am confident we're going to get this thing fixed. I just hope it's sooner rather than later. Right on. Yeah, you know, just you know, big props to ETA for taking this on and 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 doing something about it. It's it's a really a big deal, and that's why, you know, if you guys haven't checked out Bowhunters United, that's part of the ETA as well, a, a program they have that that you know, I don't know exactly where that funding goes, uh, Dan. That you'll know that, but like you know, it's used for things like this, to my knowledge, and so like it's very important uh, to try to join those clubs, get a part, be a part of that and, and help with the the conservation realistically, because no one else is really doing this. And that's why I think it's super important, um, what the ATA is doing to try to help, you know, these overall problems that we just have as outdoors men and women. And the other thing is like, who, who's going to help us, right? We, if we can't rely on ourselves to do this as an industry, we're, we're in trouble, you know, no one else is going to help us. It's we're on our own. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned Bow Hunters United. I mean, that is kind of the consumer, organization that supports ATA and you know obviously we're aligned and and in a case like this we we had you know a, a lot of BU members that we could cast these action alerts to and they got involved and helped and that's really what we want to do is is cast a wider net when we have issues like this uh that that we need to call on folks on but I will also say that ATA works as part of the American Wildlife Conservation Partners, which is a group of over 50 uh, NGOs, industry groups, and conservation groups. Everybody that, that you've ever been a member of in, in your hunting career, from Ducks Unlimited, the NWTF, Rocky Mountain Elk, National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, the list is, is so long. All these folks come together on common interests. And so we work together we actually had a meeting at just the right time this was an issue for us the, that conservation group also weighed in and sent letters to the education secretary but collectively that group has a lot of weight on the hill so we've got folks in congressional sportsman's foundation working on this and uh teddy roosevelt conservation partnership i mean in all these conversations the conservation issues are are kind of mixed in there and they're all aware of this. They're all on our side. And so there's a lot of people 
pulling on this. It's not ATA alone, but we're certainly proud to be a major player in this particular issue for sure. Awesome. Well, the ATA has always been an organization that we love to talk to. Um, I, you know, we, we've talked to many, many uh, members of the ATA over the years and the leadership that the ATA has is super effective, super knowledgeable. And I think we just saw a very good example of that, you, Dan. Um, I mean, for you, for you to take the career that you've had and want to really continue that career to, in a sense, and carry that, carry that experience forward to the ATA to help solve some of these real world issues. Um, super important, and I think it just speaks to the quality of the leadership over ATA. So wanna thank you very much for, for you know, voicing that with us today because it is a super important. And it's one of those things where like, we might not really have that real feel of it today, but it's one more chip, right? What One more, one more swing of the ax that's going to bring the, bring the tree down eventually. Right. And we got, we got to stop that and we got to repair it. Um, and it's great to hear that you're, you know, you're working on, on, on getting that done along with all of us, because we all have a part to play. So thank you very much. I mean, that's the big one for the day. I certainly, uh, uh, certainly could talk about some of the other programs we're, you know, engaged in one, one in particular, I'll, I'll kind of, uh just mentioned here because it's uh it's one i'm proud of as well but you know from a state perspective you guys at bow hunt and gals know that if you go from one state to another oftentimes you're pulling your hair out trying to figure out you know what's legal or what's not and yeah. i'm not really talking as much about season structure and limits and tags because that is extremely complex and it's it's maybe a little bit bigger than what ATA can can bite off. But what what we looked at a couple of years ago was actually equipment regulations. Absolutely. Low yes. hunting equipment regulation. We looked at about 60 different metrics. And, you know, some of the big ones like lighted knocks, uh, but minimum draw weights, percent let off, magnified sights, arrow length, broadhead weight, broadhead materials. The list goes on and on. Well, what, what we did is we looked at every state's regulations, and then we uh, uh, put together a report that really didn't talk about individual states, but said, okay, with respect to lighted knocks, at the time there were three states that didn't allow lighted knocks. Uh, and and we put together a summary of each one of those metrics, you know, minimum draw weights. Most states don't have a minimum draw weight. Uh, out of those that do, the majority have a 30 pound minimum. Five have 40 pound minimum draw weights. Two of them have different minimum draw weights based on a broadhead type, okay? And just all over the board. Well, we took all that and we developed state, individual state reports that, that, that summarize what what the regulation would look like if you were legal in the majority of the states. And believe it or not, most states are very, very liberal, pretty easy to follow. But there's, you know, in, in the adjacent column, we would take a state X and we would compare where you are to there. Some states, particularly in the deep south, there's no, there's, they're in alignment with, with the rest of the world, right? 
we don't regulate draw weights. We don't regulate arrow weight, broadhead diameter. I mean, not much you can do wrong on equipment, but then there's others that regulate it to the hilt. And so we were able to kind of shed light on those regulations. And, and based on the first iteration, we got rid of a number of constraints. It's now legal for to use lighted knocks in all states. You know, mechanical broadheads are now legal in all states. We made much more progress on some of these other metrics. And we're we're slowly making progress, but we documented over 60 regulation changes in, in the first couple of years we did this. And, and what you'll see now is most of the state regulations online are clearer. They're not leaving you without understanding, or can I use a double rail crossbow or the new tension spring uh, technology, all those things. We're, we're working with our partners to make that better. I say we've made great leaps. We still got a ways to go, but that's one we are working on. Uh, I've got a meeting uh, next week and I'll be uh, tapping a bunch of directors on the shoulder saying, uh, where are you at? Because the one thing that we've really pushed states to do is reduce that minimum draw weight to 30 pounds. Uh, that is a potential impact to participation. Uh, you can wound as many deer with a, 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 pound draw weight. Don't we know it? <laughs> you can. Uh, but but for, for places where folks may be shooting over bait out of ground blinds at 15 yards and a 14-year-old uh, might can only pull back 30 pounds, let them, let them hunt. It's all about shot placement and you can teach them a lot. So uh, those are some things we're trying to trying to work on just to make it easier for the bow hunters out there. And we're getting good receptivity back from the states on that. Dan, I I, uh, I have to say, I think that, um, you know, it's up to you, obviously, because you have to say yes and get on this and get on these podcasts. But you might just need to become a regular on here because there's so many <laughs> there's so Update. many issues and so many things that we talk about whether that's crossbow versus compound, whether that's right. um, Arizona and what now Kansas this year banning trail, cam. uh, trail, cameras, trail cameras, right? So there's so many different things that we love to talk about. And I love the point of view that you bring to the table on this. So we're going to definitely have to have you back on in the very yeah. near future to talk about some of this other stuff. Um, but thank you so much. And thank you to the ATA or uh, giving everybody a voice, um, you know, when, when it matters and it matters all the time, but, but especially on topics like this. So thank you so much for joining us, Dan, and, and we appreciate it. And we'll definitely have to have you back on soon. Well, that sounds good. It's been a pleasure. I enjoyed, I enjoyed doing this and I'd be happy to join you uh, whenever it works for you guys. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.